You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Exodus chapter 4 is where we are tonight, friends. We started the book of Exodus before Christmas, and we are continuing in our study of this book tonight. We're going to be covering a few chapters tonight, and if you are taking notes, the title of this message is Moses in Egypt. Moses in Egypt, and we have figured out, we figured this out in Genesis as we studied that book, but we figured it out again as we opened up in Exodus, that it is Moses who wrote the book of Exodus. In fact, he wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the books that we are going to endeavor to study this next year. And we, as we have looked at Exodus and sought to break it down and theme it out, we've come up with seeing it break down nicely into two sections, both of which follow the theme of this book. As we see, first of all, the deliverance of God's people. We see that in chapters 1 through chapter 18. There, as the exodus of God's people out of Egypt happens, we are going to see that outlined in those chapters. But as well, we see in chapters 19 through 40, the second section of this book, we see the identity of God's people as God's people. And we'll make sure to hit on that and show that more. And both of these themes, how they parallel into our own lives of how we, as we put our faith in Jesus Christ and the finished work, how we are set free from the bondage of sin. We are in fact delivered from sin and brought into new life, the same way that the Israelites are going to be. But as well, that takes some work afterwards where God teaches his people in the same way that we are on a lifelong journey of identifying ourselves with Jesus, no longer with our old self, but with him. In Exodus, it shows that very nicely. But tonight, as we continue to study, we pick back up where we left off with Moses just having had the burning bush experience there on the mountain of God, what is known as Mount Horeb. And he's been tasked by God to go and be the liberator of God's people, of the nation of Israel. He has been chosen as the one to lead them out of Egypt and into the promised land that God has for them. And you'll remember if you were with us, if you weren't, I encourage you to go back. Or if you forgot, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. You'll remember that as God approached Moses about this, that Moses, well, he was rather reluctant. Uh, Let's be real. He was argumentative. He was opposing the call of God on his life to go and do this work. And the Lord, he, he met him at every turn. At every move, God had a counter move and spoke to Moses about how he was going to be with him, how he would lead him, and how this was going to work out as God had intended. And we saw the Lord had an answer for each time that Moses opposed it. And eventually we see God just said, hey, you know what? You're going, you're going to go. And Moses, he said, okay, I'm going to go. And where we pick up with tonight is with Moses now in the mindset of going. He's in the mindset of obedience. And we pick up with him going now to tell his father-in-law to get his things, his family all packed up together, and to head on to Egypt. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to pick up in verse 18 of chapter 4. We're going to read through the end of the chapter, this whole section, as we see Moses on the road to Egypt. And we will read, we'll pray one more time after we do that, and then we'll get into it. So verse 18 says that, So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, And said to him, Please, let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go, return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life, they are dead. So then Moses, he took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the rod of God in his hands." 
And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all of those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. And it came to pass that on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him, that is Moses, and sought to kill him. So then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let them go. And then she said, you are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. And the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. So Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. And then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed. And when they had heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshiped. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this night. God, we thank you, and I thank you so much just for the opportunity to be here, Lord, and to be here with these amazing people who have, Lord, chosen to spend their time in your word corporately with the body. And Lord, I just pray that now as we turn our attention to your word and seek to mine out the truths that are within it so as to know your word and to apply your word, God, I pray that you would help us. And I pray that, Lord, you would lead us in the way that you want us to go as we do this. And that, God, we would know your truth and that, Lord, we would be obedient in applying it. And uh, Lord, we just ask for your help in studying. We ask for your help, Lord, in understanding. And Lord, we ask for it expectantly. We know from your word that you have given us the Holy Spirit, that you've given us your word, your presence to lead us into the truth of what you have for us. So God, we ask for that now. And we ask that, Lord, you would just speak so clearly. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, though this section of verses may just seem kind of like a transitional section of Scripture, there are some things that we have to unpack as we see Moses on the road to Egypt. Verse 18, where we opened up, shows Moses getting back to his father-in-law's place. And as he gets there, he goes and makes a request to leave the employment of his father-in-law, Jethro, to which Jethro, of course, says, yep, go in peace. And so the God then meets Moses again and speaks again to Moses' anxiety. And we can tell that Moses is anxious because God, again, is encouraging him. He's telling him to go, that the men who sought his life there in Egypt, they are all passed away and gone. So he doesn't need to fear that. And so Moses, what does he do? He gathers his family. He gets the rod that God had instructed him to take with him. And then he heads off to Egypt. Now, as the road trip gets started, we have two sections in the verses that we just read that bring some trouble to Bible students and Bible, Bible readers um, quite often. And two, two, two sections, in fact, that we should clarify as we study. The first one has to deal with the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And we see this found in verses 21 through 23. Whereas God tells Moses what he is to say to Pharaoh, he's specifically to go to Pharaoh to say, hey, look, Israel is my firstborn son, and you need to let him go. And if you don't let him go, then I am going to kill your firstborn son. The Lord draws a very defined line in the sand. It's very clear what he does. And if you know the story, you know eventually that is what is going to happen. That part is, again, very clear. But what causes a hangup for those reading and studying the Bible is when readers see that it says that when you go back to Egypt, this is the Lord speaking to Moses, 
See that you do all of those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I, the Lord says, will harden his heart, that is speaking of Pharaoh's heart, so that he will not let the people go. And understand that as we read this, what we begin to get into here is a theme that we will see throughout the section that is involving the plagues, what we're going to get into tonight and on into next week. Whereas God works out the signs and wonders in Egypt, Pharaoh's heart, it, it will be hardened. And understand that as we read, there will be sections there within the section of the plagues that says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. This speaks of the resistance that Pharaoh has towards the Lord and towards the Lord's working. But there will also be sections that says that God hardens Pharaoh's heart as well. And there are those, as you read the Bible, that have a problem with the idea that God would harden the heart of Pharaoh. They see it as if God is like playing chess against himself, and Pharaoh is just this, un, this unlucky pawn that gets chosen to, to, be, to be a glutton for punishment, if you will, by the Lord, and that, he is, that he's being uh, you know, set up just to take the punishment of the Lord as a special target. But understand, and as we study, we will make this abundantly clear, or as much as we can, we will highlight it as we move through the text. God hardening Pharaoh's hearts, understand, is not something that he does that is absent of Pharaoh's will being honored. Understand, I'm going to say it again, that God hardening Pharaoh's heart, it is not something that he does that is absent of Pharaoh's will being honored. The Bible is clear, don't misunderstand me, that God will harden Pharaoh's heart. The Bible is very clear in that. The text is clear for us. But it is not until, hear me, after Pharaoh, after Pharaoh has seen the signs of the Lord several times and at each of those signs has hardened his heart himself. You see, what's in play here is the same thing that Paul writes about in the book of Romans. And for more expounding on this, I taught through the book of Romans back in 2020. You can go to our teaching library or to our YouTube page, and you can there search out uh, the study that would have Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, and get some more information on this. Because there in Romans, in chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, understand you see there several times the phrase that God gave them up or God gave them over to. And it is speaking there of sinful humanity, a sinful humanity desiring to sin and to reject God. Though they acknowledge that God exists, they seek to reject him and choose their sin. And as they seek to reject the Lord and live in their own rebellion, well, God eventually gives them over to that. God eventually gives them over to that. He confirms their desire. Now, don't misunderstand me. He confirms, he doesn't condone it, but he confirms the desire of their heart and honors their free will to choose sin, to choose rebellion, to choose, as Pharaoh chooses here, to harden their hearts. You see, the exact same thing God will do to Pharaoh here in the text as we continue on. Whereas Pharaoh hardens his heart, seeing the signs and wonders, seeing the plague, seeing the Lord work very clearly. And as he hardens his heart, the Lord will honor that and it will come to a point where he will eventually say, okay, well, I'm going to confirm that hardening. And again, as we study, we'll be sure to highlight more on this and clarify as needed as we go through the text to come. And that's the first section within this seemingly simple and transitional set of verses that can give some problems. But the second one we see in verses 24 through 26, having to deal with the circumcision of Moses' son. And this one, understand, I can't give nearly as much uh, of clarification to, because honestly, it's not that clear. 
Quite honestly, we can only fill in the blanks as much as we can with the details that we are given with the confrontation that we see here between the Lord and Moses. Whereas we see here somewhere along the road to Egypt as they're camping out, God meets Moses again. But unlike other meetings, this isn't a moment of charge and exhortation and of, and of encouragement. No, this is a confrontation. This is a, hey, buddy, I'm here to deal with an issue. And the issue all surrounds that of the circumcision of Moses's son. Somewhere along the way, though indicated that Moses knew better, he failed to circumcise his son. And circumcision, if you'll remember, as we studied the book of Genesis, God gave that to Abraham as a mark of the covenant, that God's people, the Israelites, would be a special people set apart to the Lord. And circumcision was that mark. And so we see that Moses has not done this. God takes it very seriously. And so he meets Moses and says, hey, you're dead, bro. Like this, this, this is a mistake. I'm going to end you. To which Zipporah, the wife of Moses, steps in, takes a flint knife, cuts the poor boy, circumcises her so that her husband will not be killed. And the text tells us that she's not too happy about it either, but the Lord relents and moves on. And that is a strange story, again, that I, I cannot give much clarity to because what we have is what we have. You read the same thing I do, and that's what we have. However, within this text, within this strange story, one that is not fully clear to us, there is some great application. Because understand, it really plays to the truth that disobedience in the home, disobedience in the family, or in the small things of life, understand they can impact the mission of God. Understand that they can impact the mission and they can impact the man moving forward in the mission that God has them on. See, what we see here is God takes very seriously details. God takes very seriously details that he wants to see upheld. He takes very seriously things and standards that he upholds. No matter how large or how small they may seem, God takes them all very seriously. And as Moses here has perhaps, or has, you know, not perhaps, as he has let this thing go, this act of obedience to the Lord go, well, it hinders him going forward with the Lord. It hinders him being able to work and being able to do what God has called him to. God takes this compromise very seriously. And my friends, we should take that very seriously, that God takes compromise no matter how big or small, no matter how secret or out in the open, God takes it very seriously. And as God calls each and every one of us on mission, calls us to walk with him in full obedience and surrender to him, as we negate that, as we neglect to deal with sin, as we neglect to deal with things God tells us to do, it will hinder our walking with the Lord. It will hinder the Lord being able to use us. The Lord may shelf you or leave you to your own devices as you seek to disobey him and not do what he's called you to do. In the same way that he confronted Moses, the Lord confronts us all and seeks to say, look, the oversight, the compromise, it hinders you. It stops you. The Lord takes it very seriously. And so as strange as the story may be, it has something for us tonight, friends. It has something for us to realize that the smallest of things, they matter to the Lord's.
And we see after this event that Moses, well, he gets to Egypt. After that, the, the road is clear. They head to Egypt. And as they get there, Aaron comes out to meet them. I, I, he, he comes out and meets them there. I don't know how he was able to get out of Egypt, but hey, he did it. The Lord pro, pro, provided a way. And as he gets out, he comes. They call together the elders as they get there to Egypt. And they meet with Moses. And Moses shows and tells them all the things that God has told him. He shows them the wonders that he was supposed to show to them. And just like the Lord said they would, they're on his side. <laughs> they're on his side. They're willing to walk with him and go with him. And it says there, I love it at the end of the chapter, that as they saw all this, they worshiped the Lord together. And at this point, the stage is set for Moses now to go and finally meet with Pharaoh, to go and have this moment of telling Pharaoh, hey, let my people go. And that's exactly what we see as we open up in the text of chapter five. And as well, we see the opposition that meets him. So pick it with me there in verse one, where it says, afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. So please let us go three days journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and of their officers saying, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, and you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore, they cry out saying, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men that they may labor in it and let them not regard false words. And the taskmasters of the people and the officers, they went out and spoke to the people saying, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go get yourselves straw where you can find it. Yet none of your work will be reduced. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry saying, fulfill your work, your daily quota as when there was straw. Also, the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick, both yesterday and today as before? So then the officers of the children of Israel, they came and they cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why are you dealing thus with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants. And they say to us, Make brick. And indeed, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle, idle. Therefore you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Therefore go now and work, for no straw shall be given to you, yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. And of the officers of the children of Israel, they saw that they were in trouble after it was said, you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. Then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Well, the stage is set and Moses and Aaron, they go in and with the encouragement of the people on their side, they go to Pharaoh into their first meeting where they relay God's word for him. And we kind of can just run down this and see how, how this conversation goes as they say, hey, let God's people go. 
Pharaoh, he meets them in verse two and he's like, who is this Lord that you are calling me to you know, obey all of a sudden? Like understand within the Egyptian culture, within that time period, Pharaoh, he was not only a man and a ruler, but he was also seen as a God. He was a deity among men. And so not only are they coming and saying, hey, let this people group go, they're actually confronting in his mind a deity with another deity. And so he takes this very seriously and says, who are are you representing? Who is this Lord that I should listen to him? And Moses and Aaron, they explain there in verse three, they said, he's the God of the Hebrews and he has met with us. So please let his people go. They tell him very straight up who, who the Lord is. And Pharaoh tells Moses and Aaron there that they have taken the people away from their work. They've, they've taken his large workforce and challenged him with this deity. He has no idea who it is. They have challenged him here and they have worst slowed down the workforce. And so what does he do is he punishes not Moses and Aaron, but the workforce. Notice that it says there that for punishment for the idleness, he takes away the straw that was given to the Hebrews to make the bricks. There, as they would make the bricks in the, in the sand and the clay and the water, what was customary was to mix in straw, you see, so as to create a, a better bonding agent, to make it be able to stay solid as well as to be able to cut into nice and, and symmetrical blocks. And so without the straw, it, it was going to be an issue. Any structure wouldn't be, it wouldn't be sound. And so now, as it had been provided for by the by the, uh, by the taskmasters, now the Hebrews had to go get their own and they still had to fulfill their daily quota. Their job got harder. And so the taskmasters go back and forth with the people. They're like, no, this is on you. We're gonna uphold to this. And they beat them. And what do we see happen is we see the officers of Israel Those that are elders of Israel, they go and they petition Pharaoh. They're like, what's going on here? They have no idea. So they go to Pharaoh. They're like, hey, why is this happening? You're saying to make brick. We don't get straw anymore. So what is going on? And Pharaoh says, well, Moses and Aaron have sold you out, man. You're idle. You need to get back to work. And he sends them away. And notice what they do, that they turn to Moses and Aaron and they rebuke them. They rebuke Moses and Aaron, calling God's judgment on them for making their lives worse. And we will get to Moses' response here in just a moment and the Lord's response to Moses. But as we see this all transpire, we see again this first meeting of Moses and Pharaoh and Aaron and all the fallout that comes with it. We need to understand there's an important principle to be seen here in the text. One that if you read your Bible, one that if you seek to serve the Lord, you will know very well. And if you've been here at this church and listened to me teach for really any length of time, you will know that this is also a truth that I am going to teach often. The truth of the matter is, and what we see here is that mission, many of you can already finish this statement, is that mission, it it brings opposition. And that is, understand, an inescapable fact that as we set out to serve the Lord, when we are obedient to the call of God, understand that we will face opposition opposing forces to the work. And as we read the text, we see that Moses and Aaron, they face opposition from both without and from within. From without and from within, notice again that they are opposed as they go to Pharaoh immediately. Immediately, which is not surprising. Again, Pharaoh here, he saw himself, the Egyptian culture supported him as a God. He is a deity there among men. And so it makes sense that he would bristle up, that he would oppose an order from this challenging deity. 
What's more is Pharaoh had a thriving workforce. He didn't want to see that go. His empire was only growing on the backs of slaves, so he didn't want to see that go. And so Moses and Aaron, they face opposition from Pharaoh. But they also notice face opposition from within, from God's own people, from some of their own. Like notice there, as they went and were obedient to God's direction, there was a reaction from Pharaoh, which is to be expected. In fact, God told them, hey, Pharaoh's going to harden his hearts. But what they didn't expect was God's own people turned on them and turned on the deliverers that he had sent them. I mean, just imagine being Moses in that moment, going as God has called you to do so to the place to liberate God's people, to take them out of bondage, to worship the Lord and to be in the land that he promised them. And to only have those people say, man, what are you doing here? Get out of here. You've made our lives miserable. And ask for God to judge them. And you can imagine that. And as we read, we need to understand, friends, we all need to understand as we are believers in Jesus Christ and we as all are called to follow the Lord, we need to understand that as we seek to say yes to the Lord, to salvation and to service, to walking on mission, that we will face opposition. We absolutely will. It is something that every believer who seeks to set out on their relationship to the Lord and serve him, that they will face. None of us are immune to opposition that accompanies mission. And some of that opposition, we need to understand, is deep-rooted. It's deep-rooted. Like as we're going to read and see the, the events transpire through the plagues, it becomes very apparent that opposition to the word of the Lord and to the work of the Lord, it is deep-rooted in Pharaoh's hearts. Again, he's going to harden his heart multiple times as he sees the evident work of God working in that land. As the plagues come upon Egypt, he's going to harden his heart over and over again. The opposition is deep-rooted. And we must understand that that deep-rootedness of the opposition to God's work, it it doesn't start with Pharaoh. No, it, it starts with the one who was driving Pharaoh, quite honestly. And the enemy of our souls, the enemy of this world, there is an opposition to God's working that's been, op- that's been in operation forever. It's been in operation for a very long time. And we are gonna see that played out here. And we will see that played out in our own lives as well. That as we seek to serve the Lord, there's gonna be opposition that we face that will be deep-rooted and hard to withstand. And this is not something that we are immune to in our work and walking with the Lord's. And some would like to paint it that way. Some would like to paint that the Christian life serving the Lord, that it's all just this glorious, blessed, easy life. And indeed, it is glorious, not because of us, but because of the Lord and His glory. And it is blessed because we are blessed as we serve the Lord. But make no mistake, serving the Lord, walking truly on mission in a world that is opposed to the Lord and growing ever more in opposition to the Lord, serving in that world is not easy. Serving in that world is not easy. And if someone tells you that it is, they're lying to you. They they are. That's That's just the absolute truth of it. What's more is they're making God and the word of God a liar. Because nowhere within the word of God are we told that serving him is gonna be something that's easy. Nowhere within the word of God do we see our Bible heroes setting out to serve God and it's just all just just super easy and just this amazing rosy life. No, serving the Lord, seeking to step out on mission, there will be opposition. There absolutely will. But what we need to do is not believe the lie. What we need to do is not, you know, step out and think that we're going to be immune to it. Because understand that if we do, if we step out and believe the lie that opposition won't come, or we step out and think to ourselves, ah, I'm immune to opposition. Well, the second it gets hard, we'll bail. 
Like we'll, we'll bail immediately as soon as the opposition comes. And so instead of believing the lie, instead of thinking that we're immune to it, what we need to do is to look to the truth of God's word. And we need to realize that every step of the way, as opposition comes towards the mission of God, God is, God is right there with us. That God is right there with us in the fight every single step of the way. And we must realize and pay attention to the facts that if our Bible heroes had to overcome the opposition and God was there to help them do it, that we will be no different because we serve the same God who desires to do the same thing with and through us. We have to believe that. But we also too, as Moses, as we're about to see him do, we also have to acknowledge it and we have to cry out to the Lord. And that is what we see Moses do. As the elders of Israel go to Pharaoh, Moses, as he is encountered and and confronted by the elders, he appropriately goes to the Lord. Let's pick up there in verse 22 of chapter 5 and read into chapter 6, where it says in verse 22, So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it that you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, neither have you delivered your people at all. So then the Lord said, verse one of chapter six, so then the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will let them go. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of of the Egyptians." And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage, I am the Lord. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. And so the Lord spoke to Moses saying, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the children of Israel go out of this land. And Moses spoke before the Lord saying, the children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I am of uncircumcised lips." And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. You see here, as Moses is facing this opposition, again, from both without, from Pharaoh and from within, his own people, he goes rightly to the Lord. And he does get a bit, he does throw a bit of a hissy fit. In fact, he throws just a massive hissy fit there before the Lord. As you read it there, he, he's, he's talking about God, thinking that, you know, you know, that God has just abandoned him, that he's not going to do what he says. He forgets that God has told him time and time again that it's going to work out, that God's going to do it. But nevertheless, in the opposition, he goes to the Lord. He does the right thing. When the elders of Israel went to Pharaoh, were like, what are you doing? Moses is like, this isn't working. I'm going to the Lord's. And if he does so, he speaks there. And more important than just going to the Lord, he gives the Lord the ability to speak into his life. He, he, he stops talking and he listens to the Lord. Amen. He listens to the Lord. And it's important to note that God, as he speaks back to him, it's important to note that God, he, he doesn't turn it to Moses to encourage Moses that Moses, you're gonna do and Moses, you have the power and Moses, you're strong. No, he points to himself. 
The Lord points to himself. Notice he makes it clear that he will be the deliverer of his people. In fact, if you keep account, he in some way speaks of his power and of his being the Lord and of his ability to deliver his people no, more than, no less than 15 times in the verses that we just read. Over and over again, it's I am the Lord. I am going to do this. I will show my power. The Lord encourages Moses over and over again. In church, it is so important to focus on that same truth in our own lives. It is so important for us to understand and to see that when opposition comes, and it absolutely will, from our flesh, from the world, from Satan, who is the enemy of this world and of our souls and of everything, he just hates everything, that when it comes, we need to be like Moses and we need to run to the Lord. We need to run to the Lord. And like Moses and so many others in the Bible, we can and should be honest with the Lord. And we, we need to make sure that we are honest with the Lord because quite honestly, he knows it anyways. Like, so for some reason, we have this hang up that we can't just go to the Lord and express everything that's in our hearts and minds, which is ridiculous because again, he knows everything. He knows everything that's within our hearts and minds. And so why would we not go when we have anxiety and cares and fear and take that to the Lord's? Why would we ignore the, exhort the exhortation of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5 to cast our cares upon the Lord, knowing that he cares for us? Because as we do so, understand that we give the Lord an in and a platform, which he deserves and should have always, but we open ourselves up as we pray, as we let him know for him to say, hey, I'm here with you. Hey, I'm going to lead you. And like Moses does here, we need to be those that let the Lord speak as we cry out to him. If you're facing opposition, cry out to the Lord. But don't just let him know that it's hard. Don't just let him know that you're tired of it. Don't just let him know that, that, it, that it's something that you don't like. Let him speak to you. Let him encourage you. And the Lord does that. The Lord speaks. The same way he spoke to Moses, he speaks to us. We have his word. We have the Holy Spirit who is indwelling every believer and who will empower every believer as we allow him to do so. And what we need to do is do so. We need to go to the word, go to the Lord and allow him to lead us and to encourage us with his presence in the opposition because he's with us. He's with you as you step out. He's with you as the opposition comes. And if you'll cry out to him, he is faithful to meet you the same way he does for Moses. As we will continue on, we will see that this pep talk, if you will, this talk that the Lord gives to Moses here, that this is going to carry Moses through all the way through, through the text that we're, about, that we're going to unpack today and into the coming weeks. It sticks with Moses how the Lord speaks. It sticks with him as he opens himself up to the Lord. The Lord speaks and Moses, he believes it. And as we continue in the text tonight, the rest of the chapter of, of chapter six, well, uh, verse 14 through 27 is a recording of, uh, of Moses's family. I'm going to leave you to read that on your own. It's a bunch of names. I know you're going to read it on your own later on. So I'm going to leave that to you. And we are going to pick back up in verse 28 as we get started now on the second and the third confrontation between Moses and Pharaoh. And understand that as we get into chapter seven, and we see this first and this, oh, this second and this third confrontation, this interaction, that this starts to usher in what we all know from the Exodus story. That is the plagues of Egypt, the signs and wonders that God has talked about. And we're not going to cover them all tonight. We're going to tackle them next week, but we will get into the first one and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll unpack it as we get there. So what we see here as we open up in verse 28 are the opening signs and wonders there in Egypt. 
As it says, and it came to pass on the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said before the Lord, behold, I am of uncircumcised lips and how shall Pharaoh heed me? So the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you as God to Pharaoh and Aaron, your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you. And Aaron, your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of this land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. So then Moses and Aaron, they did so just as the Lord commanded them. So they did. And Moses, he was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. So then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when Pharaoh speaks to you saying, show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron, they went into Pharaoh. They did so just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron, he cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the, magi- the wise men of the sorcerers, so the magicians of Egypt. And they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's wa- rods swallowed up their rods. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. So go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water and you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him. And the rod which was turned to a serpent, you shall take in your hand and you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed until now you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. So then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying to Aaron, Take your rod, stretch it out your hands over the water of Egypt, over their streams, over their rivers, over their ponds, and over all the pools of water, that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. And Moses and Aaron, they did so, just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died. The river stank. The Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But then the magicians of Egypt, they did so with their enchantments and Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river for water to drink because they could not drink the water of the river. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. God here speaks and tells Moses and Aaron, despite the opposition that they face, that they need to go back now to Pharaoh. And he's encouraged them and he sets, sets really kind of this, this pecking order, the speaking order, if you will, about how Moses is going to speak to Aaron and Aaron will speak to Pharaoh. And God is also honest again about how Pharaoh's heart will be hardened. He tells him, hey, he's gonna resist you. The opposition is deep rooted, but it's because of that hardening that God will bring the signs and wonders upon Egypt. And so Moses and Aaron, they go to Pharaoh, knowing again, it's not going to be easy. They tell, they tell Pharaoh to let his, God's people go. And as indicated in the text, Pharaoh asked for proof of being sent by God. God told them, hey, when Pharaoh asks for proof that you're sent by God, throw the rod down, let it become a serpent. And so as indicated in the text, Pharaoh does this. 
Moses and Aaron, they provide the sign of the rod turning into the serpent, to which they're surprised, no doubt. They then see the magicians of Egypt do the same thing. They throw down their rod, believing that this is probably going to take care of it. And then the magicians do the exact same thing. And that too has troubled Bible students and Bible readers for as long as this text has been around. And so some, some clarification on that, I believe, is needed. And as we continue to read, understand that we will see that this is not exclusive to this event happening. With the rod, we see it here with the, with the river turning to blood. The magicians of Egypt, they do the same thing. And that has some, led some to wonder how. Is it done by some magician sleight of hand, or is this a spirit? Is this a true miracle? Is this a true, like, spiritual, even demonic work? And I fully believe, you may believe that it's sleight of hand. I fully believe that this is a demonically fueled, demonically, that's a word, a demonic fueled uh, miracle and working that these magicians are able to perform. And I believe that for two reasons, two reasons for you note takers. The first reason has to deal with the language that the Bible is written in and the text before us. Understand that as we read, the language is very clear, both in the English and in the original language, that the magicians, they did the exact same thing. There is to be no confusion, whether in the original or in this, as Moses records and writes, there's to be no confusion or thought process that they did some sleight of hand or like made it up in some way. It is meant to be seen that there's something else at play here. It's meant to be seen that there is something else that is going on, that serpents were real. They came from the rods or the rods of the magicians turned into real serpents and that the blood that they, that they produced um, there as the Nile turned to blood, that, hey, it was, it was legitimate. So the language is clear, but also, also the other reason that I believe it's supernatural and demonic is because of what's going on here. Understand that what is going on here is not just a power struggle between nations and people groups, but rather this is a struggle on the spiritual front as well. Because you see what's going on here is Moses is not just there to liberate his people that he belongs to, his culture to be taken out from this oppressive, you know, other larger culture, well, not larger at the time, the Hebrews outnumbered them, I'm sure. But he's not just seeking to free a people group. No, what he's seeking to do is the work of God. He's seeking to carry out the will and the work, the mission of God to liberate God's chosen people who God has chosen to give them a covenantal land that they are to dwell in who through this people one day will come the savior of the worlds. Understand what's going on here is not just a, a, a struggle between nations. It's a struggle between good and evil. It's a struggle between God and the enemy of our souls. And so it would make perfect sense to me and should make perfect sense to any of us as we read the Bible and see that spiritual warfare is so real. It should make perfect sense to us that Satan would throw his hat in the ring and seek to help Pharaoh out with this event going on. And this is not something that's immune to this story here. In fact, this is something that Paul speaks about and, and speaks to as, as you read the New Testament. See, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul there is speaking about the last days, and he's speaking about the coming of the lawless one, who is the Antichrist to come in the time of the seven-year tribulation period. And as he speaks there, he says in 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 9 through 10, that the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. You see, just like here in the book of Exodus, as we're studying tonight, Satan 
fueled men and will fuel men with tools to produce and deceive millions. He's going to do that in the seven-year tribulation period. He does it here in Exodus. And I believe fully he's still in the business of doing that today, even within uh, uh, systems of belief and even church, church gatherings or what people would consider what is being called the church today. I believe Satan is at work in many ways, producing signs and wonders that are not representative of the Lord and glorify man above glorifying the Lord. I mean, you think about the new apostolic movement, the new signs and wonders movement. You could even lump in, you know, ministries like that of men like Kenneth Copeland and Benny Hinn, who are, you know, seeking to spread out, you know, prosperity and all kinds of signs and false healings. Like you can lump all of those things into the same camp, who I fully believe Satan is fueling in many ways. And so I believe fully, and we should, as we see this, not be, you know, not be confused but see that, you know, Satan, he, he threw his hat in the ring because this isn't just a struggle between nations. No, this is a struggle between God and the enemy. And so we see the serpents that the magicians produced, but I love the imagery here. Again, you know, they throw down their rods and you can, you can imagine it. They're outnumbered. There's more, there's more serpents than there are of, of, of the rod of, of Aaron, but Aaron's rod is like, no big deal. He just takes them all out. Just the Lord's not going to be thwarted by that. It's like, come at, come at me. <laughs> And this encounter ends with Pharaoh's heart growing hard. Notice the internal hardening here. Again, as I said, Pharaoh will harden his own heart. The Lord will merely confirm it later on. But this right here is an internal hardening. And he did not listen to the command of God through Moses to let God's people go. And that is the second encounter that we have here with Pharaoh and Moses. Now, I want to look together at the first plague. We read about it, about the Nile turning to blood. Because I want us to see the way that we will approach these, these plagues as we dissect them later on next, or late uh, in later studies, actually next week's study, as we approach the rest of them and how God is working as he sends them. We see there in verses 14 through 25, we see the first plague of Egypt taking place as the Nile River and all other standing waters, they turn to blood. And we must understand and need to note that the plagues of Egypt that each one of them are, a, are an, a, a complete frontal attack to a deity, a false god that the Egyptians worship. And this happens for a couple reasons. It happens first because, um, again, he's showing Pharaoh, hey, you're no match for this. You're not going to stand up to this. I am the Lord. I'm in charge. The signs and wonders are meant to show that. And so it's for Pharaoh, but it is also, too, for God's people. And the reason I say that is because understand that at this generational state of God's people there in Egypt, there are, there are no original survivors, you know, that came from uh, the, the family of Israel over to Egypt. This is all people, these are all people who have been born in Egypt, have been born and brought up enslaved to a polytheistic culture. And so as God sends the plagues to Egypt and seeks to tear down this, you know, th this, this nation, Understand, he's not just speaking to the ruler of that nation that, hey, I'm in charge. He's also speaking to the people of God so that when they leave Egypt, they can trust him. That when they leave Egypt, they realize, hey, the false gods of the Egyptians, they're nothing compared to this one that we're following. They're nothing compared to the one true God. And so every single plague that comes through that we are going to study, it's a direct affront to 
a god of the Egyptians. And this first plague of the Nile River turning to blood is attacking the Egyptian god Osiris, who is the god of the underworld, as well as the god of the Nile River, whom the Egyptians believed the Nile represented Osiris's bloodstream. You can see his green face up there with his beard, his little weird goatee thing. You can, just, you can have that in, in your brain. But um, this was a direct affront on that, and you can see there as the Nile would turn to blood, and they believed that the Nile was his bloodstream, the, the irony that played out here, that as the waters turned to blood all over Egypt and there within the Nile, and what was and is the central water source for the Egyptians, understand it was as if the God that they thought ran through was bleeding, was wounded and bleeding by this other deity, especially as the fish began to die and the smell began to permeate everything and no longer was life being given, but there was death that was seen within the river. And we see that the plague not only attacked their belief system, but also their economy and daily life as well all of the plagues that we study. And again, we see Pharaoh's magicians, again, they did the same thing, which quite honestly, if they wanted to do a real miracle to show that they were more legit than the God of the universe, they probably should have turned the water from blood back into water, but they, 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 they couldn't do that because Satan only destroys. He, he, you know, he, can only, he can only throw out counterfeits. He can't you know, restore. So they weren't able to do that, but they were able to turn water into blood. And Pharaoh's heart, again, we see is hardened. It is hardened. The text says he remained hard, remained unmoved. So the Egyptians, they had to dig for fresh water and that at least seven days passed from the time of the waters turning until the next plague, which we will open up with next week. But before we go, before we go our way tonight, we're not done. There's a great bit of application to take. And not just tonight, but even as we study next week. So I want you to hold on to this. Hold on to this as we study into next week. Hold on to it to apply to your own life as well. And that is that the shift in mindset that we see within Moses is very apparent and very profound from when he cried out to the Lord in doubt to when he went and encountered Pharaoh and then moved on into all of the plagues and things like that. See, understand, as he addressed Pharaoh earlier in the night, early in the text tonight, he was met with resistance and he came to God, again, honest. He came to God throwing a hissy fit, just being like, you, you, didn't, you didn't keep your word. You know, I went, I said the things and here I am, nothing happened. <laughs> We're still enslaved. The enslavement got worse. He threw a hissy fit towards the Lord. It was like, you didn't do what you said you were gonna do, which is ridiculous because God already told him, hey, there's gonna be resistance. It's going to happen. At the beginning of the night, Moses was afraid, but now, now, as Moses has gone to Pharaoh a second time and a third time, did you notice that there's no recorded mention that at these meetings there with Pharaoh and the hardening of Pharaoh, the opposition of Pharaoh, the magicians doing the same thing, there's no recorded mention of Moses saying, this isn't working. There's no recorded mention of Moses becoming fearful or doubting the Lord as he does this. Understand what we see here is not Moses being afraid or arguing with the Lord, no, what we see here is Moses standing there boldly, willing to go back. And he's going to be willing to go back over and over again. What we see here is a Moses who has gone to the Lord, cried out, been encouraged by the Lord, and is now emboldened by the Lord to do the work that God has called him to boldly and to carry it out all the way through. And again, the Lord was honest with Moses, telling him, hey, it's, it's going to be hard. The oppression, the, the opposition is deep-rooted. And yet Moses, he says, no, I'm going to do it. Moses, knowing that, 
he steps forward. And Moses, understand, will not waver in this boldness that we see ending tonight, that we see, that we end with tonight. He will not waver in this boldness all the way up until right before the crossing of the Red Sea. Understand that throughout all the plagues, throughout all that God's going to instruct him to do, every time he says to go back to Pharaoh, he's going to go forward boldly. He's going to do it. It's not up until they're standing at the bank of the Red Sea and the Egyptians are behind them that he's going to be like, what are you doing? You brought us out here to die? And the Lord then is going to encourage him again. But all through his time in Egypt, the rest of this time here, we see a Moses who is bold because he cried out to the Lord and because he trusted the word of the Lord. And my friends understand, I've got to say that this is such a word for us tonight. Such a word for every one of us as the church tonight, as we read this, as we see the text, we need to understand that you and I, that we can be bold as we walk in the mission of God. And we need to be bold knowing that he is with us knowing that he is with us. Again, you and I, we, we don't have to fear the future. And we don't have to fear the plan of God for our lives because what we need to know is that God, he wants to lead us in a way that is perfect. He wants to lead us in a way. And if we are submitting to his plan and walking in the way that he is wanting us to go, we have nothing to fear. If we walk in the will of God, we walk in his plan, we can be bold. We need to be bold. You know, Moses, doing it in his own strength, he, he wasn't bold. In fact, he tried to do it in his own strength. Do you remember when we first started the book of Exodus? What did he end up doing? He ended up killing a guy and burying him in the sand and then getting found out the next day. In his own strength, he wasn't bold. In his own strength, he fled for his life. But with the Lord on his side and knowing that the Lord was on his side, he was bold. And my friends, we can have that same boldness. We can have that same boldness as we seek to serve the Lord. You know, that same boldness because the same God that spoke to Moses wants to speak to us and wants to lead our lives, that we would serve him boldly in this world. And understand that tonight, that, that, that is something that I know that I need. And I would venture to say in a room this large with this many people here, that it's probably something that somebody in here needs as well. An encouragement, an exhortation from the word of God and an example that we see within the word of God to be bold in the things that God is calling you to to be bold in the thing that God is leading you into. You know, we're at the start of a new year coming up this weekend. And I don't know about everyone in here, but I know that new years, oftentimes they can bring, you know, kind of like, oh, what's gonna happen? What's, what, what's, what's next? What is the Lord planning? And I, I, I love to plan, but sometimes the plans that I think the Lord wants to lead me on, they scare me. I'll be honest with you. But I don't have to be scared. No, what I can do is go to the Lord and say, Lord, I want you to lead me boldly. I want to know that you're with me and I want to know what you have for me. The Lord is so faithful every single time to show me that he's going to be faithful. As he's been faithful before, he's going to continue to be faithful. As he's been present before, he's going to continue to be present. And friends, we can have that confidence that Moses shows here as we walk with the Lord as well. And so maybe tonight for you, the word of God is calling you to say, Lord, I, I, I need you. Lord, I am afraid. And there's nothing wrong with admitting that you're afraid. Understand, there, there is something so toxic within Christian culture that seeks to say that if you fear that you're less of a Christian, that's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Like if you fear you're a human being and God, he knows your frame and God is willing and faithful to meet you in your fear. He's willing to meet you when you experience fear and anxiety. That's why we see within the word of God, God meeting his people time and time again, saying, be strong and courageous. Hey, don't be afraid. Hey, follow me because they knew they were afraid. And as they cried out to him in their fear, he's like, I'm right here with you. He didn't condemn them. No, but he met them. The same way he'll meet us. 
And so my friends tonight, if you, if you need the boldness that the Lord wants to put into you, just simply ask him. If you're looking ahead at the plan of God that he has for your life and you're like, man, that's terrifying. And it might be because God's crazy and he'll call you to do crazy, terrifying things sometimes. Just cry out to him and say, Lord, I just need you. I need to know that you're with me. And the next time that you need to know that, guess what? He'll be right there. He'll be right there ready to tell you again and again and again and lead you every step of the way. And we're gonna see Moses give us a great example of that. As time and time again, he's gonna see the wonders of God show in the coming text of the weeks. He's gonna see God do some amazing things and he's gonna see Pharaoh harden his heart. He's gonna see Pharaoh just over and over again say, no, no, no. And God again is gonna say, go, go, go. And he's gonna do it boldly. And my friends, we can do the same thing. We have the same God on our side, the same God wanting to lead us, if we'll allow him. And so tonight, perhaps you need to just surrender to the Lord, your fear, your anxiety, your care, cast it upon him for he cares for you and know that he wants to lead you out of here in boldness to serve him in what he has for you.